everybody. Welcome back to The Pod and the Pendulum, the horror movie podcast covering every horror movie franchise, one movie in one entry at a time. We have a little bit of a different episode tonight. This is basically going to be a Patreon episode that we are going to release for free to everyone to give them a little bit of a taste of what Jerry and I are going to be doing for those who do subscribe to our Patreon. Now, if you're already a Patreon subscriber and listening to this on the standard feed, feel free to basically shut this version off and go to um, patreon.com pod and the pendulum and start playing back from there. Because what you're going to hear right now is basically a little bit of an infomercial. Um, and I can already see people hitting that click ahead button on their <laughs> podcast, but I'm going to implore you not to do so. Um, but before I make my spiel here, let me bring my better half on right now. Jerry, how are we doing tonight? I have never been as excited for a single episode of what we've done as much as to, like tonight. Like I've, I've been like talking about it all day. Like My wife and my kids are probably like, so annoyed with me by now. But yeah, I'm doing excellent. What are we doing tonight? We are doing a fan commentary for one of my 10 favorite films of all time. Like, it's no surprise to any of our listeners that Halloween is my favorite movie of all time. Well, this one is right up there with it. It's the first film in that franchise that I ever watched. I saw it in the theater when I was seven years old by myself. I didn't even know it was a franchise before walking into that movie. And when I walked out, I was the biggest fan I knew. Halloween 4, 1988, Dwight H. Little, it is a gem. This is one of those entries where a lot of, everyone will say that, yes, Halloween is the masterpiece in the franchise. But there's a lot of people that will go, but, and they'll follow up by saying that Halloween 4 is their like favorite movie to actually watch in the franchise. Mm -hmm. Because it's really where like, Michael Myers takes shape, if you'll excuse the pun. So well, we are going to be uh, doing uh, this as a little fan commentary tonight. But we want to like let our listeners know, like, look, here's why we're doing a Patreon right now. Not just because it's 2020 and every podcast in the world has one. Um, we really feel like at the Pod and Pendulum, we bring something a little bit different to the table. Uh, and we're really proud of the work we do here. And we think we're worth it. We have three tiers. They start at Two bucks a month. Two bucks gets you all of our content. It gets you the bonus episodes. It gets you the bonus blog posts we'll be putting up on the site. It will also get you into our Slack channel. Um, we have a $5 tier, which gets you the bonus episodes a little bit faster, as well as some swag. And then the $10 tier, which gets you the bonus episodes right away as well as access to our show notes and as well as swag overall. And I, I think one of the great things about that final tier, the, the higher one, the $10 one is that, and I was thinking about this last night. The great thing about the show to me personally is this show has challenged me as a writer to be more analytical, more thought provoking and to be more in depth in my own writing because of how, how passionate both Mike uh, and I, we both are about the show we don't just like half-ass a single episode. I mean, obviously there's going to be episodes like Critters Attack and Joyride 2 where our notes are maybe one or two sentences. Right. But that being said, like you, you almost get like in-depth essays in our notes with like films like The Blair Witch Project or mm -hmm. Alien or things like that. And a lot of 
the Halloween films, especially the Nightmare on Elm Street series coming up. We take what we do very seriously, and we think putting the best, our version of the best show that we could do is giving our listeners something that they'll remember. Like these guys did their homework. They know about the movies they talk about, and they're passionate about those. So that $10 tier is, I, I really think it's a really good thing. And look, are we completely unique? Like, no. There are other fantastic podcasts that cover horror movies and cover horror movie franchises. And they're very in-depth. The, the hosts are fantastic. Like, whenever a new episode of theirs drops, like, I do a little Snoopy dance because I love listening to them. Like, I'm not saying that, like, what we do is 100% unique. I will say we're the only one that does provide an entry every single week to this tier, except for Kill by Kill, who are also fantastic. And um, I absolutely love that show. They're also on a weekly basis overall. But we're giving you like a new episode every week and we're doing the research and putting the time in. So you're not just getting a show where it's like, well, then this happened and then this happened and then this happened. Like we try to cover things from where films sit in their context at the time. We try to cover films from like any mental health issues that come up, the personal experiences that we have with these films, and also the experiences that our guests that we have uh, every week on with our show, what they bring to the table overall. And I think that's what sets us apart. And also, like there are other phenomenal podcasts out there that do tremendous research, cover horror movies from a very similar lens that we do, but bring their own unique perspective to it. Um, However, they do it maybe once a month as opposed to four or five times and sometimes more every month. Our show, the core of our show will always be free. Absolutely every week we're going to be delivering listeners a free show. But right now, if you sign up for our Patreon account over at Pod and the Pendulum, I'm sorry, over at patreon.com slash pod and the pendulum. You will have access to not only the spielless version of this, but also a near two-hour breakdown of It Follows with Chris Dudley of the band Under Oath, where we dove super deep into that movie and I think covered, basically there's very little left to uncover at that point. Like when you're done listening to that episode hopefully you have some new perspective or appreciation or maybe you just feel like yep that's what i've been saying for years i'm glad some other people get it too um that's what we're going to bring you with our patreon but now we are going to bring you a guest mr nat bremer is going to be joining for this this for tonight jerry do you have any final words on our patreon before Uh, honestly uh thank you to the people that have signed up it means a lot and it helps us with our research i mean like mike said we we tend to really go deep i mean i know just for the alien series i think i like bought like three or four books (laughs) just to like brush up you know like like we try to go as deep as possible so thank you guys for doing that and thank you for even just listening to the show in general Absolutely. We really love the community that we're building here with the pod and the pendulum. We really love our listeners and the people we've gotten to know. And I know doing this show has given me opportunities that absolutely wouldn't have existed otherwise, whether it's writing or joining other shows. So, and I got to tell you during this pandemic, it's been an absolute lifeline for me. Definitely. So without further ado, let's welcome tonight's guest, onto the show joining us once again i think this is like maybe the fourth episode 
at this point that he's been on, Mr. Nat Bremer. Nat, how are we doing? I'm doing well. Uh, am thanks I, for having me on. Am I saying that correctly? Bremer. Bremer. That's what I thought, and then I heard someone say Bremer. So, all no right. Problem. Let's bring you so... Can we fix that in post? Yeah, I can probably <laughs> fix that in post. Um, I'm excited to have that on because he's actually self-published a great little chat book on Halloween where there are about like a dozen essays and it's about a hundred pages long. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is just some wonderful writing in that. And it's absolutely free um, if you want like a, a PDF of that. And that, where can folks find that? Um uh i'll repost the link on twitter okay and my twitter is the easiest place to to download that for sure okay great and you know what i will just put that in our show notes you'll be able to go right to it from there yeah also i mean really quickly uh the first person that i reached out to about possibly doing this episode was nat because there are very few people in this world that when I think of like Halloween and Halloween four and like the whole franchise in general that I think of that love the series as much as I feel I do like Nat's always the first person that pops up like that essay, that collection of essays that, that Mike is talking about, like as a diehard fan for all of my life, like reading those, they brought just like such a huge smile to my face. So yeah, definitely. We're, we're stoked. Oh, 100%. It's a really wonderful read. I cannot uh, recommend it enough. So why don't we say we dive right in at this point? I am going to be watching this movie on Shudder because I have it on the uh, monitor next to me. And I believe Jerry and Nat are going to be using um, the Blu-ray of this, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. All right. Are you guys all queued up? I'm ready. I'm going to count down three, two, one, and then on go, we'll hit play, okay? okay? I'm down, yes. Three, two, one, go. Ten years to the date of the first Halloween film. There we go. What, uh, curious, like, what were your guys' experiences, like, seeing this movie for the first time? For me, I just want to say this opening shot absolutely captures the feel of this movie it's just so eerie and so quiet and so different from the first three films no i I think when you think of halloween like this yeah you're right this opening sequence like it just it it invokes that feeling of fall and and halloween in general it's it's great yeah this whole opening sequence is i think the halloweeniest moment of the entire franchise Mm, absolutely i may even be including like season of the witch in that mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. this is so like rustic Halloween and as Halloweeny as season of the witch gets, it's still, there's still such a Californianess to it. This is the first film in the series that took it out of California, right? Like Salt Lake city, I believe. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I think four or five and six all have a distinctly like ev- evocation of the of the holiday mm-hmm. that most of the others don't achieve as much mm-hmm. and howard's score here um is great alan howard's score right here where it's its, its own its own beast its own animal and again mm-hmm. it just it has this very eerie 
ominous feel to it overall. And well, I think, I, I th- oh, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt no, I'm you. Good. I, was, I was just going to say that when you think of Halloween and the music, obviously the first thing you go to is John Carpenter, but Alan Howard's scores for the, for all the films that he did are so massive. Like yeah. I think I listened to the Halloween four soundtrack when writing more than the original, to be mm-hmm. honest. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that they're all so different. Like he's playing with the same themes every time and each of them is a completely different score even, even like six, the metal version and yeah i was gonna say <laughs> even six even like the alt of the alternative rock version like it works like if anyone can make it work it's him i don't think it's um a bad thing at all it's different of course but i think it works at the uh, halloween 40 convention that happened uh two years ago i believe uh in in pasadena uh after the first day of the convention alan howard like did a whole performance of songs from the series in like a little bar that was like a little hole in the wall. It was pretty cool. Um, this gentleman looks like Renfield to me. Oh yeah. He was, what did I just see? Oh, he was in Cast a Deadly Spell. Mm-hmm. Oh man. I love that movie so much. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I don't line. hear enough talk. I don't hear enough talking about that one. Oh yeah. This, I, he immediately, he's always had such a weird look to him that stuck out to me. So like when I not, most people probably won't immediately see someone in a movie and be like, that's the security guard from Halloween <laughs> four. But I absolutely did. I think that's, what's funny about like horror fans in general, like <laughs> growing up, I would say things like, Oh, that's like the random dude driving the, the ambulance, you know? Yes. And my dad would be like, what the hell is wrong with you? Yes. If what I ever about- saw like, Axel from Final Chapter pop up right? anything else, which like I don't believe I have. But no, yeah. he's in Seinfeld, I believe. Oh, he's a yeah. rabbi. Yeah. So is everybody. Oh, right. The funny thing about this guy, the security guard guy, is that like he seems almost as crazy as like any patient that would be in there. Oh yeah. Yes. You might find an alternate cut where he's actually one of the patients and he's like killed one also, of the guards. This is way worse than anything. This is a it's a personnel at the facility, at the mental health facility you're working at, saying to to you know staff coming in, be like, "This is where society dumps its worst nightmares." Right. Like, what the hell? Well, I gotta tell you, as somebody that like has worked in like that field, not necessarily like mental health, but like working with like just people with some disabilities overall that there's a certain gallows humor that definitely comes into play amongst the staff at sometimes like sometimes you have to laugh otherwise you're going to break into tears you know what i mean no, i yeah. i get yeah. that but at the same time well, even like dr H- oh he's he's devilish <laughs> him and like hoffman right here like the way he talks about loomis is so just like oh, shitty that yeah. yes like you have to usually pay someone three hundred dollars an hour to talk down to you that much, you know. Yes. You yeah. have to be into hey, where's, it really where's Loomis? I hope he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Michael Pataki stands out so much to me as often because Michael Pataki was the police chief on the Amazing Spider-Man television show, and that's <laughs> extremely important to me. Oh man! Now that classic like, score. Speaking of when I was a kid, I remember I saw the the uh, the, the female the doctor or whatever right here in Silent Night Deadly Night as a kid, yes. and that was like so huge for me. And that was like a moment where my dad was like, "Who cares?" 
Yeah, yeah, I relate to that deeply. Well, joke's on you, Dad. I'm doing a commentary. So you, <laughs> so Jerry, you asked our first experience with this movie. I know you saw it theatrically when you were seven, which God love you. Um, By myself. <laughs> this would have been, wow, that's terrifying. Um, this would have been like high school. I know I had just gotten my driver's license, so it's probably around... It had been out a few years. It was 92. And it was just mm-hmm. one of those like Friday nights. You rented a video. We brought it to some like young woman's house that I wanted to date. And we just kind of sat around watching, you know, Halloween 4. Oh, that's great. You know what's and funny? I don't think I, I paid I, attention to the movie. I think that, oh, like, probably I just not. wanted to like that, really date this woman. That's how the final chapter was for me. The same experience. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. I love this part so much. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, oh. Because when you think of Halloween, obviously you think of putting a fucking thumb in someone's head. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the thing. It's every single kill in this movie is a, dipl- is a display of like extreme supernatural strength. Oh, yeah. What was and the name of that Pantera album? Like a vulgar display of violence or power. vulgar display, vulgar of, display power. of power? That's yeah. what this movie is. Yeah, that could really be the subtitle. <laughs> this is the Phil Anselmo of Halloween movies. Like... This is Michael's Jason Lives, for yes. sure. Yeah. Oh, there's definitely a, like, this is when Myers goes from being the shape to more of a Jason Voorhees type of character, for sure. Now, if I'm not mistaken, I'm sure, Nat, you'll know this, but wasn't this, like, sequence of shots a mistake? Wasn't it supposed to be the ambulance wasn't there at first, and then it is is there later, and they accidentally, like, reversed it, if I, do you know what I mean? I, I think so, which is really weird, because this works out really well. But uh, I, b- I believe that's the case, yeah. And another this light fun, is so funny. <laughs> another oh, fun uh, detail, probably all know, said uh, Ridgemont in Halloween 4 is Smith's Grove in Halloween 6 because they were shooting everything in the same damn place. <laughs> God, I love it. Daniel Harris, man. She gives such a strong childhood performance in this movie yes and that speaks volumes because people love the character of laurie so much and the fact that like jamie came in and is kind of like this in my opinion is kind of like the second most beloved character in the franchise Mm -hmm. i don't see why in halloween kills or halloween ends now that the timeline has been changed irrevocably that you couldn't bring daniel harris back as jamie and just have her be the niece or have I mean you could do that not like it would be like a new thing to ever play a completely different character right right (laughs) well I mean I think the only reluctance to that is that maybe because she was in the two zombie movies too you know but I mean Mm -hmm. I'd be down for that Mm -hmm. I think she'd be done I think she's even said like she's 100% yeah down for doing something like that I remember that one of the few like memories of seeing this in the theater as a kid that I remember like point blank is this right here. This whole sequence scared the living hell out mm-hmm. of me. And for being a seven year old in the theater by myself, cause we live next to the theater and this is pre Columbine. So they didn't card anybody and they didn't care. Uh, like it was probably one of the scariest moments of my life. up This whole sequence is one of like the defining scenes in the franchise for me. This whole scene was yeah. one of the very first things i think of when i think of this franchise particularly the shot of michael coming through the door with the the knife over his head mm-hmm. i'm pretty sure 
that's mostly due to uh, years and years of ingrained AMC bumpers. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. still, like, it's just deeply ingrained in my memory, like, this whole scene. And this is also, I think, even though it's a nightmare, when Michael's the scariest and when the mask looks the best in mm-hmm. the entire movie. Yeah. Ah. Uh. So good. Do you want to talk that? Well, I guess we'll get through the sequence. I definitely want to talk about the mask and why it doesn't bother me that it looks so much. And I think I've only recently come around to this, like why it doesn't bother me that it looks so off. Me too. I've you know, around, yeah, same. Yeah. Because it makes sense, actually. Yes. It, I, it does. Oh, God. I was just going to say, it really put it into perspective with me when someone was complaining about it to me once. When we were talking about it, they were like, it looks like a cheap, like, dime store mask I'm like it literally yes, is that's it's what a it cheap is. dime store mask he pulls off the shelf halfway through the movie that, and it's like it's 10 years later they want to have the same exact mask it's right. not like they were marketing market you know michael myers mask it's like yeah i don't i think the person who complains about that has never lived through the era where you had a costume with a plastic mask held together by an elastic band and yeah. then literally the body of the costume was like a full portrait of the character that you're wearing with their name printed over it oh my god that <laughs> shot is so terrifying yeah oh, there it is. that right it's, there that i i love that shot That's, and i love george wilbur as michael myers so much yeah. yeah, my only complaint, and this again gets into kind of the Jason Voorheesing of the later sequels, is I don't like how padded Michael is yes. in this yeah. movie, because Michael was a very kind of thin and lanky figure in the first two, and it was really creepy, and this kind of took away from that. He's too bit. bulked up, yeah, and the shoulders Especially look in weird. Six. Yeah, yeah, but like six they, looks like Michael just went to the buffet a few too many times. <laughs> But again, just that lovely. I, it, October cannot get here fast enough for me at this point. Yeah. It, right now, it feels like walking around in a bowl of soup. Like <laughs> I rode, I took my daughter for a bike ride to the library um, down and back today, and it's only about ten minutes each way. But by the end of it, I'm like, I hate this. I hate this so much. And I usually love riding bikes, but yeah. it was like walking around and or riding like a hot. Riding, like basically riding through a bowl of chicken broth at that point. It was awful. You know what's interesting? No, totally. I, I hate outside right now. What's interesting is the parents in this, Rachel's parents, like they're not the most like, you know, like they're not fleshed out that much, but they're not like parents later on in the series, like the Strode character mm-hmm. and Rob Zombie's Halloween that are, you know, like having like sex jokes with their daughter and, yes. you know, fing- right. fingering donuts and stuff. Rachel's not going to be, yeah, performing cunnilingus on a donut <laughs> in this. I might Apparently, like Rachel more ab- if she did. <laughs> I it think one of the ad- best things about this, it was, right? it was uh, I believe tonguing the, do- the bagel was an ad lib. Oh, Lord. I think one of the, my favorite things about this movie is it gives almost every character a good arc. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, like, yeah. I, I've, ne- like, it, I've always had such a hard time like latching on to Rachel at mm-hmm. first when I watch this, but by the end of the movie, like right. she's grown a lot. She's mm-hmm. not likable for the first two thirds of the movie. Like she's very self-involved. She's very judgmental. And it's it, not until she really, really looks after Jamie that you start to really feel for her. 
And I understand at first, you know, because like it's hard to be nice to a little kid with bangs like that. <laughs> but, <laughs> just kidding. No, but the oh, arc that Rachel goes through in this movie, the arc, uh, it reminds me a lot of Tree from the Happy Death Day, uh, especially the first film. Mm-hmm, where like at the at the beginning of the film, like you kind of can't stand the person, but by the in the movie, you're like, wow, they've grown a lot, and you know, they show how much they care about the other people. Yeah. yeah, and she is, like, she's putting in an effort. Like, she at least is immediately realizing she fucked up and going yes. to apologize. But still, it's a definite clear arc and growth over the movie. One character does not have a resolved arc, which we'll get into later, and that's Fuck Off Wade. But... <laughs> Dude, that is my favorite line in the entire series, actually, for so many reasons. Poor, poor Wade goes nowhere. Yeah, I, I've never met really a single weird. Wade who has went anywhere. <laughs> really weird to introduce a character like Wade and not kill him, but... <laughs> oh, Lord. Okay, this bugs the crap out of me. Uh, granted, it's a minor detail, but this they just listed Michael's middle initial as M. Yeah, it's obviously don't Audrey. You da- don't you dare take away from me that Michael's middle name is Audrey. <laughs> it is <laughs> yes, yes it's extremely yes. important to me <laughs> i remember when, at uh when uh, is that trip- discovered how did i not know that uh, and when is that revealed it's listed a couple times it's explicitly stated in the uh, tv version of the original mm-hmm. halloween yep but i, I love remember- that the two timeline options here are michael's initials are either ma'am or mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tasty michael uh, I remember at Dead Right Trivia in LA and like it was like 2012, 2013, that was actually one of the questions and so many people got it wrong. Yes. And my teammates my teammates were laughing at me because I put Audrey. They're like, oh, okay. And like, yeah. I was like, well, we got the point, guys. Yep. Oh, Take that, Lord. Dad. Now the original, originally in the script for this, they had that the opening shot was gonna be the uh, hospital corridor from Halloween two with the explosion. And Loomis's yeah. body was going to fly out, explaining how he survived. Yes. Which, I mean, I, I think it's interesting that they kind of didn't do that. But also really quickly, I mean, I don't want to go away from this commentary, but the original script for this that Carpenter and Deborah Hill championed, the Dennis Etchison script, was such a different movie. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, Loomis wasn't in it. He was dead, yep. you know, uh, and it revolved around Tommy and Lindsay growing up. And it was kind of like the prototype for what Paul Rudd's performance would be in Six. Yep. And it was such an interesting interesting take it's a lot more meditative take it's not really a slasher film so much it's a much more meditative horror i would say where this is obviously a very straightforward very fun slasher movie well i can only imagine like mustafa akkad reading that script and being like wait what michael grows in size at the end (laughs) right (laughs) yeah but i definitely while we're on the script for this, I have to give a shout out to uh, Alan McElroy. Oh yeah, for recapturing the original tone and like he's a really good screenwriter uh, in general. He wrote, he penned the uh, amazing Spawn animated series for HBO. Mm. Oh god, I remember I love that, so much. that was appointment television um, at my apartment back when that <laughs> was out. Mm-hmm. This is, again, the level of carnage in this movie mm-hmm. is nothing like the overture, just bloodstained ambulance. It's like, it's like half the scenes 
you walk into are that like ridiculous scene in Jason Lives where mm-hmm. you know uh, Jason splatter paints Paula around the right. Top. Like like enough blood for about a dozen bodies to line the walls of the cabin. Yeah, like this and the police station, and yet like every actual kill is pretty goreless. Mm-hmm. So here's a controversial opinion. I wish that they kept this look for the movie with yeah. the jumpsuit and didn't yeah. have the mask. I, I would have been perfectly fine with Darkman Michael. <laughs> Maybe like get the mask and the, like, right. the suit at the very end of the film, leading but into like, five, you know? Like Michael Myers has... is Batman's hush. <laughs> oh, man. Right. But like if he had the jumpsuit, like this still perfectly evokes like the blank white mm-hmm. face. Like, I definitely think it would have worked. I think this is Loomis's best moment in the whole series coming up here. Oh no. The moment in here where he pleads to Michael is my favorite yeah. moment in the entire yes. series. Pleasance like, has never down. been better. I I think you thought you were talking about him pumping his own. (laughs) (laughs) He made me really believe that he was slow on gas. Right. This, this really, (laughs) wow. Um, And I like it coming up, like we're in the garage right now. I like coming up that you don't see, Michael tear this place apart. You only see the aftermath of it. And I like when they do that in this yeah. movie in particular. Um, it really establishes Michael is less of a man and more of a force of nature, like just seeing the aftermath. I really mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, that's what I would say, like this and the overturn ambulance and the police right. station. And again, that right there, when you see the mechanic hanging with a gag in its mouth, you usually have to pay good money for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially in those boxers. I'll stop now. <laughs> now, I love the scene so much. And another thing that I think really sets the scene apart is it's one of the few scenes that Tom Morga played Michael Myers mm-hmm. instead of George Wilbur. And it is noticeable. Mm-hmm. You know, Tom Morga that played, you know, pseudo Jason in, in uh, you know, A New Beginning. Mm-hmm. I have one like huge unanswered question. Why are there so many pictures of Abraham Lincoln? Why on the are wall? there? I just <laughs> counted seven pictures of Abraham Lincoln on the wall. Wait, was that the question? Yes. Oh my god! No, I'm legitimately ones. asking. Why are there seven pictures well, of Abraham Lincoln? They are in Illinois, so that might make sense. Like they're probably near the birthplace of Lincoln, so maybe they're god. trying to establish. Lincoln was actually born in this gas station. It looks like Loomis is, or Lincoln's looking at him. Right. Oh, this, this is, scene, dude. Michael we should like, odd. we should room two thirty seven this and be like, are they trying to say that Michael Myers shot? Lincoln? <laughs> 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 well, Asher, is, where are you? This is Loomis's first instance of pulling a gun on somebody. Something will come up very often in this movie. <laughs> Oh, dude, he, he's so trigger-happy in this one. Yeah. I mean, yeah, not for the first time. He's shot this man six times before. Right. This and is... there's, there's, in a serious note real quick, there is such heartbreak in his eyes right here. Yeah. Yes, he is so done. This is the last, people don't get about Loomis. So this is perpetually the last thing on earth he wants to do. Mm-hmm. Q 1995. <laughs> 
Uh, but that's oh. like, I legitimately love Loomis's arc in Curse of Michael Myers because he legitimately was done and he yeah. was finished. And he was and happy. Yes, and it's like a Logan-esque, like one last ride kind mm-hmm. of story. And, that yeah. or like one of those Godfather 3, you know, <laughs> they pull me back. <laughs> and especially pleading like, I can't do this alone. For the first time saying like, I can't do this shit alone to the person <laughs> who's going to like betray you. Oh God, I love that shot of Loomis just flying through the air into the trash cans. Oh yeah. That Donald Pleasant stunt double, he really, <laughs> he really yeah. flew. As a Ronald Pleasance that did that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> this right here it sparks a moment that oh, had my daughter both in and I, my Ader and I watched this together on Saturday night, and we were in tears laughing over the I think so honestly, mean. I think that this movie especially really showcases how shitty Haddonfield is. Mm-hmm. Or how shitty kids are. Oh, man. In general. Well, you even get, like, the teenagers in a little bit that, like, play the shittiest prank on Loomis. Like, yes. that's oh, yes. like... The Jamie's yes. Mummy a Mummy is pretty... This is so bad. <laughs> Jamie's <laughs> Mummy's a Mummy. <laughs> to be fair, so the, the Loomis... Uh, the Loomis haters clear, probably mm-hmm. aren't Haddonfield kids. Mm-hmm. That's true. Given the distance. It's just, yeah. I think we're saying things about Illinois as a state. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, what's funny is the same kids that like talk hardcore shit to Jamie, like they completely change their tune when they like her costume later on. Oh I yeah. Think that's yeah, wonderful. That's, that's, that's I like, think that's actually pretty cool about the kids that they kind of get over it. It's also yeah, so they, petty you know, for children. Yeah, but you don't get over it. Like, you don't say, hey, your mom's dead. And like, hey, oh, by the way, I love your costume. What's up, homie? You know? Like, Kids are surprisingly resilient. Kids are this surprisingly. Is one, this is one of the moments that I wish would have been fleshed out because not a lot of people know that that's supposed to be Lindsay from the original that's driving yes. them. Yes. Which, how? Yeah, yeah. Like... How chill she is. Yeah, Clearly yeah, she's <laughs> doing better than Tommy. <laughs> like, yeah, I survived. It's like, imagine those two met up. And he's just like, yeah, I've been on this obsessive hunt. I've lived it. I haven't mm-hmm. left my, like, my studio apartment since that night. She's like, yeah, I got my ear pierced. Yeah, I've, I've really fallen in love with Aquanet. <laughs> this is the most... Here's a confession. I did not know this was not Tina from part five oh. for probably the longest time. Like I just always thought like, oh yeah, that's Tina from part five. I don't it, think yeah. it was till we actually did part four as a podcast that I like didn't make the connect, made the connection that are not the same person. I think the reason that I knew is because you didn't get enough bupa dups in this one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I love this part so much. Love the suit coat. Love it. Think about Wade. how many people die in this movie, and Wade lives. Wade, fuck off, Ted, Wade. Wade and Ted off from part day. four. Wade and Ted from part four of the final chapter need a buddy comedy. Oh right, oh, this guy like he thinks he's hot shit with his mullet. No one wears a windbreaker like that and lives. Sunglasses. No, uh, my wife, before we got married, she was with this really asshole, like a real asshole named Wade. 
and I showed her this movie for the first time and then bought her the pin from Fright Rags that says, fuck off Wade, and she wears it like every day. <laughs> Just love how she was like, she's been sitting on that line, fuck off Wade, for like weeks. Like the first time this asshole talks to me, this is what I'm saying. The uh, line is so ingrained on me that it's just his name to me. His full name is Fuck Off Wade. <laughs> That's his full name. His we, don't have, off. we don't have a last name. For all we know, oh God, for all we know, he's Fuck Off Wade Hollister. Oh, right. Oh, Lord. And I love that how, like, four and five because they're shot in the same place a lot of the same locations i mean when the men in black gets off the bus in part five it's like right around the same mm-hmm. neighborhood yep oh, i love these shitty store decorations mm. yeah did you guys grow up with a lot of places like this yes i yep. grew up with aisles absolutely like this. absolutely uh, this absolutely brings back childhood of going to like five and dime mom and pa pharmacy stores and getting the Halloween costumes there. Absolutely. 100%. There was no spirit Halloween or anything like that. This is what you would do. And honestly, I think we were better off back then. You know, one of my favorite things about this movie and horror films in general mm -hmm. is that Eric Preston's in this movie for maybe two seconds as you know, young Michael Myers, mm-hmm. and that dude makes bank signing autographs at Halloween oh, conventions. Totally, <laughs> like it's the one genre that could kind of give someone a second life like that. Mm-hmm. So, is Rachel in the wrong here? First, not telling Grady like at the start of the day, hey, we're mm-hmm. cancel. We have to cancel, and then maybe like maybe she invites him to go trick or treating with her and Jamie. I don't uh, think anyone's in the wrong, a, really. He's a dick about it, though. Yeah. Well, the whole time he's looking at uh, Kelly. Yes, he's literally. I can't blame him. Lying. The whole time I've been looking at Kelly, so. You I mean, he's eight, he's eighteen years old, man. I mean, that's how you think when you're eighteen. Yeah, you know? this was very impressional. It was, yeah. But, Is that how you thought when you were eighteen? I just thought like I was in Reservoir Dogs. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> So I have no problem. Look at that. Why is this such an airy in Michael Myers, though? (laughs) Right? Why? Like, I know you're not getting Will Sandin back to play (laughs) six-year-old Michael Myers, (laughs) but, like, that is a Hitler-use-looking kid. Oh, Lord. Um, So it does make sense, the mask, because it's like a cheap pharmacy mask. Yes. That doesn't bother me at all. It actually fits. But it is kind of in poor taste that the in the town so in the town that like the this occurred in like it is selling like hotcakes like that's not a good look Haddonfield and also this either has to be the store he broke into to get it sure one competitor in town so either way it's terrible mm-hmm. oh lord my well, daughter is smile right here yeah. man. <laughs> my daughter asked during the scene like why the um, car full of like high school kids pull away you know they tease them right here you know and this could have been a completely different movie if Donald Pleasance got in this car um, like why do they pull away it's like because well, kids are dicks honey kids are absolute dicks also, he's I so think, happy what did you think, look at old man old man Loomis go he has a needs I think we've proven beyond truth 
this year. <laughs> like, God. I think it plays better now more than ever because we've proven beyond a shadow of a doubt this year that people just hate the elderly. <laughs> they really do. <laughs> well, they hate the elderly and young school kids. Oh, here we go. Sayer, man. One of my favorite characters ever. The, the Amen license plate. <laughs> you know, How do we, Crazy Ralph's it, brother from another mother. Yeah. But like the hopeful one. They're like Ian and mm-hmm. Yang. Loomis is like, motherfucker, where's your disinfectant? In an infinite Halloween multiverse of infinite Halloween possibilities, there's definitely a world where these two got so drunk they forgot to go to Haddonfield. (laughs) (laughs) They just went to the rabbit in red instead. Just cross-country gallivant until the end of their days. I... Love that, like Loomis finds a kindred spirit here, and he, like you said, Jerry, his little half smile in this moment is—it's one of the few times thing. that you see him genuinely happy. Like yeah. that, uh, given Lonnie shit in the first movie, <laughs> you know. Well, this is crazy meeting crazy yeah. right here, yeah, right? I mean, yeah. like when you finally see someone just as crazy and messed up as you, it's a real wonderful thing. And this is still when Loomis has the egg on his face before they replace the makeup halfway through. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, man. I remember like a few years back, Justin Beam was working on a book and I interviewed him. I mean, this is probably close to seven or eight years ago. And I asked him what direction he would want to take the Halloween franchise if he, if he had to say so. And he said he would just make a complete movie about Sayer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd watch it. I would pay to watch that. Now, in the, uh, the re-released version of the, the novelization that uh, Nicholas Grabowski wrote, Sayer's in it more. He, like, yep. Michael runs into him later and pokes his eyes out. Yep. That's awful. Which yeah. also, um, for the first time in a long time, like that's been available as uh, an ebook for a while. Oh, wow. For the first time in years, uh, that novelization is actually back in print. Yeah, yeah. I bought it, I bought it last year for the first time. I love it. Now, what's funny is, and, and we talked about this when we did the Halloween episode, Mike, all the parents in Haddonfield, like, there is that theory that you had that all the parents just party. continually go to, they, they continually just go to, like, orgies. It's every Halloween, they have a key party. It's that every, feels like. Haddonfield that's absolutely is, what the uh, would-be Hellraiser crossover should have leaned into. It is absolutely <laughs> the swiggiest, thirstiest town in all of the Midwest, you know, it absolutely is. I am revealing myself through this show to be. Right. How does Pinhead wind up in Haddonfield? Well, every parent in town has one. <laughs> <laughs> Who said a crossover couldn't happen? Oh, yeah. Oh, that sweater, man. I still, I, I can say this because it's like never an article I wrote, but I have tried so hard to look into uh, whether or not any draft of that was actually written. The uh, crossover? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. I wish. Yeah. uh, There were two treatments, for sure. Do you know who wrote those by any chance? Uh, One was by Dave Parker, and one was by Clive Barker. Dave Parker? Wow. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. 
I wonder yeah. what Bob Barker would have written <laughs> if he had done the draft. <laughs> the an- like, an- anti-Happy Madison one. Uh, so nuts to me that that was de- decided by a fan poll that decided they didn't want to see it because Carpenter was going to direct that fucking movie oh, and Lord. Clive Barker was going to write that fucking movie. And it's not like a rumor. Both of them have said it. Both of them have said it with their mouths. Can you imagine Michael's disappointment in finding out that like Lori's dead? Yeah. In this timeline. Yes. I mean, I don't think he gives a shit about Laurie in like David Gordon Green's movie, but in this one, he does. But I love, like, there's almost, I felt like a hint of satire on the family angle uh, at the beginning when Loomis, or, or when Michael literally, like, just springs back up the second he hears he has a niece. <laughs> that and the picture of Laurie kind of, I think she's holding the pumpkin. Who took that damn picture? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Like, that's a still from the first one, I think. It is. <laughs> the same Most, person who oh. took the picture of, uh, of Jason. Well, <laughs> yeah. What if they had five. used a photo from, like, Trading Places, like Jamie Lee Curtis? And... <laughs> in the mirror. Right. I love Bo Star in this movie, too. Yes. Yeah. Meeker's, like, I, I like that character a lot. I have a question about Meeker, and I think I'll hold it to the very end. I hope they will remember to bring it up. Oh, let's see, like, worse. If it's his about... shirt, if it's his shirt that Kelly's wearing, <laughs> it's yeah. Who let her wear that? Um, <laughs> who told her that's a choice? Um, I do like that the cops react much quicker here. Yes, I mean, why wouldn't they? Right. But also, like, that's the biggest thing that pisses me off about like Hoffman is like. Why does Hoffman, why does anybody at this point act like Loomis is crazy when 16 people died last time? Well, that, you <laughs> could probably, you could probably, precedence now. you could speak on that pretty uniquely living in Florida. I mean, look at your governor there, who okay. is absolutely in a race to do absolutely nothing to, you know, stop what's going on down there with the rise in COVID cases. Like, and if he was parading around a single town. Right. Then he, I feel like it would match up. But but people will see, deny what's right in front of them sometimes. Yes. I think with Meeker, what, what sets him apart, and I, I love the original, obviously, but Brackett just never listened. And when he was hit with it, he just blamed Loomis 24-7. Yes. You know, Meeker, like, he's annoyed with Loomis, but he acts pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. But like, he would be 10 times more of an asshole to like, be like, I don't think that's the case. <laughs> I don't think he's back. Like, like Bra- Brackett moved out of town the same night, basically that his daughter died. But you know, mm-hmm. there's these motherfuckers. God, I hate oh, these God. kids. Yeah. But like, I believe this. I do too. Yeah, that these kids are such assholes, and they're like, like, there's a version of this movie where Michael is doing all the killing because no one invited him trick or treating. Yeah, it's called Rob Zombie. Rob Zombie. That is. That's exactly what it is. (laughs) Love hurts in the air. Love hurts, man. God, I love this right here. Oh, caught. Oh Lord. I never actually uh, got that that was that had to be Meeker's shirt. (laughs) Yeah. Like, 
any other day off, that's him parading around in that pantsless around the house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those earrings. And even my daughter, who was who's ten, is like, why isn't she wearing pants around all these dudes right now? Like, put something on. Well, I mean, but, she's in the middle of her hanky pank. But I mean, Man, later on. That- it's funny that Brady tries to like salvage this. It's like yes. dude, you were you weren't even like subtly caught. You were caught right in the middle. Like you might yes. as well just stick to stick to the landing of being a dick, you know? This is gaslighting 101 right here. Oh, basically. Yes. yes. The only thing that could have made that scene better is if he invited her in to join. That was the only <laughs> thing that would have made it better. If if he was his father, he probably would with the parents. Mm-hmm. Oh god. It's like, do I want the sweater or do I want the shirt? So Rachel now loses Jamie, who is one door down, as far as I know. <laughs> like, worst. Like, the kid is one house down and she's completely lost her. Well, I wrote an article. I wrote an article about like five or six, or maybe even more years ago. That was just Jamie Lloyd never stood a chance. Like, <laughs> <laughs> never. Oh God! And these guys, Spud McKenzie on the wall there. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm still looking at the, the decorations in this bar. And like, granted, I was growing up in the '90s, but you know, it was Maine, so it was you know we'd just gotten the '80s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in the '90s in Maine, Jimmy Carter was still president, as far as true. You know. There's a bar in my city called Froggies that looks identical to this bar on the inside still. And it's it's such a sketchy ass bar. There's one in my hometown in Drakeit that is called the Friends of Eddie Coyle. And I really want to visit it one day, but I it seems it. like there's a real story behind that title for that bar. Um, well, classic, see, these guys classic, classic. These 70s. guys act so quickly. Mm-hmm. Too quickly. <laughs> and that's these guys should have slowed it down a fucking right. These fuckers are on their way to like Portland right now to round up protesters. Like these are the kind of people that this would be. There's a segment in the upcoming issue of Rue Morgue that uh, I was asked to like write uh, my take on is if Halloween Kills should have went to VOD or theatrical. And one of my arguments that it should definitely go to theatrical is, is all the weird things we've had to sit through. And, you know, throughout the series. And my big argument was with Haddonfield about to go into pure chaos and Halloween kills, I want to see the next Ben Tramer or Ted Hollister get killed unnecessarily on the big screen. (laughs) After Loomis pulls a gun, he has to run off. Oh, man. Because that's what I love about the series. It's like there's so many unnecessary deaths. Yes. Yes. I imagine Loomis hears about Ted Hollister. He's just like, ha ha, I wasn't even there. (laughs) (laughs) You can't put that on me. So many dead dogs in the Halloween franchise. Yeah, at least, this is a small, small grain of salt, but at least he eats them. Sure. There's like, what, three movies? Three movies that he kills dogs in? I think it's more than that. I think it's Uh, like the majority of the movies that he kills dogs. There was a deleted scene in in Halloween 2018 where there was a dead dog, too. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm happy that they cut that out. John Wick hates these movies. Dude, he does. Oh, Bucky. That stash. Now, if you watch the making of this on that big box set, Bucky was... 
uh, inspired by, I think, a prop guy that tried to hook up with every girl from the movie almost. <laughs> well, the other thing is that the prop guy did this himself. <laughs> he just slapped his name on shit. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, he's the one who put his own name on that hard hat. I love that, like, when Bucky is like, I'm going to call the cops. You just stand here and don't go anywhere. <laughs> okay. Oh, you play that Halloween sure. shit with me. But uh, one of the few things that has made uh, living in Florida remotely worth it is that a few years ago, Halloween Horror Nights did a Halloween 4 house. Oh. Yeah, yeah. And this part in particular... <laughs> Walking through the uh, the the powerful the you know grid the electrical seeing, grid seeing seeing a Bucky like a mannequin body Bucky strung up and frying. There was a Bucky there. There was a Bucky. Oh, it wasn't man, like I, a scare actor or anything. It was like a it was just a, a mannequin. Yeah, like a mannequin wow. body with a hard hat on it. But uh, see, I missed I missed it that year here in uh, California. But man, I would have killed to see that Bucky mannequin. This mm-hmm. would have been the year that I went. Well, maybe next year. It's it's fun. It's a lot of fun every year. I enjoy What's it. What's frightening, uh, I'll admit, is that it actually hasn't canceled yet. Oh, is it Universal Studios open at this point? Sure is. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we were supposed to go in June, and we very in March we canceled. We're like, nope, yeah. not even gonna yeah. take a little bit of a risk. Yeah. Last year we were supposed to go, but uh, we got married that month, and we Ooh. were still in LA. But we we just you know obviously did that. Yeah. Yeah, but like, here which is the better choice? Our, because uh, yeah, for sure. Like none of our Halloween things are happening mm-hmm. this year. Uh, my wife and I are planning Horror Nights at Home mm-hmm. where we are making cardboard mazes and oh. having our horror action figures pop out. Oh I God, doing walkthrough videos. I had an idea the other <laughs> night. I went to a drive-in. Um, we went to Cape Cod for a few nights because um, Massachusetts were pretty lucky that it's, we've got a pretty good handle on it. Um, mm-hmm. We went to a drive-in in Cape Cod and I think you could do, you can't really do haunted mazes or haunted houses, but you could absolutely do haunted drive throughs I think. Yeah. Like you could set that up where you drive slowly through it. And I think that could be a lot of fun. That's a There's thing one. in Japan. Is it? Yeah, they've started doing that um, a couple months ago, I think. There's oh. one in LA that uh, Leatherface has been chasing people in their cars at a drive-in mm-hmm. in LA too. That's so cool. This drive-in, this... by the way, they could show movies at 5 p.m. because they absolutely had light cannons. Like they actually had 5 p.m. screenings of Pixar movies and we couldn't figure out how they, we could do it. And then when we went to Wayne's World that night, figured it was so bright. Like we could not yeah. believe how bright. Uh, the screens were like, oh, that's how. Mm. This sequence, I think, is one of the best in the entire film. Mm-hmm. Like the the mood, the ambiance. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, I think if you add a little too much smoke to the background in films, it comes off hokey. But mm-hmm. I think it's just enough in this one that it, it gives such a 
such an eerie vibe that I think is kind of missing from some of the films in the, in the mm. franchise. Mm-hmm. Then Loomis almost shits his pants right here when he sees like mm-hmm. three or four dudes in that costume. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like flashbacks to Ben Tramer. And again, like Haddonfield, men of Haddonfield, what are you thinking right here? This is yes. a bad idea. Well, I mean, we've pretty well established that uh, the kids of this town are shitty. Mm-hmm. The worst. Okay, here we have. Also, this one has like like a Austin Powers like Ascot thing going on. Like... Well, I thought it was like the Joker from the old Batman series. <laughs> See, one of them. That one doesn't he have like a shirt open? Yeah, that's why I can't tell. There he is again, Loomis pulling a gun. Shoot like first, that, ask that questions that sh- later. That one with his shirt open, that's like the Mike Vanderbilt of Michael Myers right there. Yes. <laughs> Sipping Marlowe. <laughs> and then you have this great shot in a second. Oh my God, I love it. Great shot. Myers just standing in the background. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just being like, I'll get a ride with someone else. <laughs> I'll Uber. <laughs> now this right here, like this is insane because yes. you think about you think about the like the films that came before this. This is a whole new level of Michael Myers. And this is kind of the Michael Myers we see from here on out, like in five and six and stuff. He slaughtered an entire police station. It's also smart because the cops were so on his ass last time that like the first thing you do, he pulls into town as he goes and he just takes out the entire precinct. Mm-hmm. Like, Where's that dude's arm? And, you know, this is before, you know, he had help from someone with an Uzi too. Because <laughs> he hadn't gone off the bus yet. That's the thing. Like... <laughs> They literally just arrest him at the end of Halloween. Night. He decimated the entire building. He has the mask on a year earlier. Oh, that's the funniest part. You see, like he's in the he's in the jail cell with his mask on, just like literally well, twiddling his thumbs. To be fair, would you get close enough to Michael Myers to pull his mask off? I wouldn't live in Haddonfield, man. There I you mean. Go. Jamie did it like 20 minutes earlier by herself. It turns out all you have to do is ask him. But we've established kids are dumb. This is like A plus acting right here too. Like this is too good almost. Like the last time. (laughs) Okay, who is Al's boy? God, that looks like Gunnar Hansen. It's a theory that like Bob was Al's, it was his son. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that okay. a lot. That makes sense. I've always wondered that. But ben, the, real, like, the real question it's cool is that Meeker's about to beat his ass. Which one of them is fuck off Wade's dad? Right? <laughs> Has to be one of those guys. I absolutely think it's whoever shoots Ted Hollister. <laughs> <laughs> he was hoping it was his son. Okay, here's the thing, though. And, like, granted, we're not quite there yet. But we literally have one person who's just like, oh, I see him there in those bushes. Clearly not seeing Michael Myers. Like, I'm not saying that that person intentionally turned their guns on Ted Hollister. Right. But I am saying 
that that person the, intentionally turned their guns on Ted that, that person owed Ted Hollister some money. See, has, my biggest takeaway from this movie is people give me shit for saying I don't trust cops. But if you can't recognize that Michael Myers is in your back seat, then all of you are all of you are bad. Especially as we've pointed out that Michael Myers is gargantuan in this movie. Right? It's interesting that they didn't show the Myers house in this one. And then, you know, they, they kind of do that weird ass Myers house. It was undergoing movie. remodeling. <laughs> right. They're like, it, it, they were trying to make it into like the spook town version. <laughs> <laughs> they, they were remodeling the hammer films version. Yeah. They were prepping for the monsters to move in. And... Now, like he says, he sees them, but he doesn't see like anything. Yeah, There's nothing to see there. Like, for all they know, they and what is Ted Hollister doing in the bush? That's a, that's a really <laughs> important question. Is what is Ted Hollister doing in the bushes? Like, I, I understand himself? Ben Tramer. I understand Ben Tramer was like really, really drunk and like on his way to get nachos, but Ted <laughs> Hollister is sleeping in a bush. He's clearly not sleeping because he's like, stirred. like, there's, mo- there's a lot of motion oh, going Lord. on in there. Maybe he, got the address, maybe he got the address to the orgy wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm the first one here. Uh, I might as well, might as well get started. <laughs> I love that we, we have to make that a thing. It really, that theory has to take off. The Alternatively, we don't. But. <laughs> oh, God. You know, Lorenzo Lamas watched this and was like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wife that. The lighting, too. The lighting is what kills me. The 80s See, romance cover. Even, what's funny is, you know, even as a seven-year-old, I remember watching the scene and going, come on, guys, give me a little more. <laughs> <laughs> come as, on. As an impartial view, I'll admit, I, for some reason, fully had it in my head that, uh, you, well, that you see more. No, I think that was uh, Bride of Reanimator before we got it. And then Cutaway. Brady's still a dick, I should point out. Brady is still a dick. Yeah, he is. He is. He's one of the... The only only uh out I'll give him is, like, again, he's 18 years old. And when you're 18, you're not always thinking clearly. Still a prick. Still See, I don't know. When I was 18, I was listening to like the Get Up Kids and crying. I was emotional, you know. Yeah. I, I wasn't a jerk. <laughs> you know, I wanted that Saddle Creek Records, you know, emotion in my life. How many bras are under that couch cushion? <laughs> Lots. Right. We got to get the kids to safety. Bring them to one home with like two cops to guard it. Let's not leave town or anything or just keep driving. Okay. Granted, they are the only two cops. Right. You know what's funny? All the more reason to keep driving. He's already killed 10 cops. Maybe two of us can stop him. No, drive away. See, the cops don't realize that, but Redneck Earl and the rest of them, the first thing they do when they get the girls is drive them out of town. Oh, yeah. oh are they the smart ones? I love that that whole redneck mom are just like, 
justice. We got to take it into our own hands. We can't trust the authorities to do that until the second someone tells them, hey, the authorities should do it. <laughs> and then they're just like, you're right. We You're should right. leave. <laughs> right. They get paid for that. Let's get out of here. It's like the two Jamokes and Jaws that realize like, oh shit, we got, ri- we ruined Sunday's roast. Let's just go home. We've had enough. <laughs> what, what was that word? Jamokes. What You've never that? heard Jamokes? Like no. jackasses. Jamokes. Oh, wow. I, you learn something new every day. Right. Now I'm thinking that this isn't the first time that Meeker has like walked in on a boy and his daughter oh, from what he I tells mean, Brady. How could it? Especially because he doesn't see anything. He doesn't know. Like he, he knows. That's probably why he put her to work at like the, the pharmacy to kind of get her away from boys. But I mean, fuck off waiting crew and right. going to have that. But she's walking around in her like, just panties and long t-shirt like put on some jeans there's just come on i don't mean to slut shame that's not good i mean like when even when you're home alone by yourself well within your right to walk around in your cops do it by the book shirt pantsless Mm -hmm. god knows we've all been there oh yeah i do like i'm wearing boxers right now and a shining t-shirt you know I ain't wearing anything. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Poor Jamie, man. Jamie's an orphan. Her mom's a mummy. (laughs) God, this... It's no wonder, like, if this is the best Haddonfield police have to offer, no wonder Michael Myers sets up shop here. Oh, and I love, I love the, the police, the, the police officers that we do get to see in David Gordon Green's film too, especially the sheriff with his cowboy hat. Yes. Like I, I want to see more of that guy. Sheriff Crane. Yeah. Right. God, what if that's the direction they go in? What if it's just to him being like, well, you see Michael Myers, that makes me think of a girl in a pink dress. <laughs> Throwing a hot dog down a hallway. Oh, Lord. Now, there was an early uh, treatment of uh, Halloween H2O where they bridged uh, Jamie into that continuity, too, which would have been really interesting. uh, That was much uh, later. Right. Because I think, like, that's actually, they just cut it out as a finished It's a deleted scene, right? Where she kind of leaps over a picture. They actually filmed that? Yeah, I think so, because H2O does reference Halloween Mm -hmm. 4. Imagine having to choose between Josh Hartnett and Danielle Harris as your kid and choosing Josh Hartnett. That's the kid you keep. (laughs) Right? It's like, dude, give him a comb. Give him a comb. I mean, I think all of Lori's kids end up being doomed. I mean, you know, Jamie and her bangs, Josh Hartnett and his, you know, cowlick. Uh, I mean, Judy Greer and her sweaters. You will say no bad words about Judy Greer in this house. In this house, you respect <laughs> Judy Greer. I just watched Jawbreaker again, too. She, her, oh, so She gives a master class performance mm-hmm. in that movie. Yeah. So does Marilyn Manson. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, why not stay with that kid, though? Mm-hmm. Right? Also, oh, she oh. needs to go, you know, she needs to go, like, 
piss off. I can't think of the it's Kelly, correct? Yes. Yeah. It's Kelly. He needs to go slut shame Kelly. Is that's what that's what's more important right now. See, this this is what has like it drives me nuts so much. And I was thinking about it earlier. It seems like the dudes in these movies get passes where the, the women come after each other when in reality mm-hmm. Brady's the one that was really playing both of them. Yes. Like Brady's the villain out of that triangle. Yes. I mean, Kelly just does it by the book. <laughs> I mean, Rachel has a right to be pissed at both of them. But. That's another thing from the making of that I thought was funny how they were saying, I think Kathleen Kinmont was saying that Sasha Jensen kind of played both of them while filming too. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. You get what's coming to you, dazed and confused. Right. Your overalls. I need to watch that again soon. It's good. I like that one a lot. I like the uh, kind of spiritual follow-up to that, too. Everybody wants some? Yeah. I have to see that. I own it, but I haven't watched it. Very similar in kind of aesthetic, I think. Uh I, I love, not this scene, because it's just like, mm-hmm. I feel like it's unnecessary, but the one coming up with, with that that officer is pretty great. I love the shot coming up right here, though, with Myers. Mm-hmm. And I never caught this until, again, like until, until we started doing the show. I don't think I ever caught Myers in the background here. That's one of my favorite things about oh. all Halloween movies, is picking my yeah. background. Oh. So good. The lighting in this movie is so good, too. It's perfect. Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, it was like years into watching the original. I was still picking Michael out of shots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, long time before I noticed, like, the reflection of him in the window mm-hmm. uh, in uh, when Annie's gets stuck. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where he actually does the head tilt before he kills Bob. Mm-hmm. See, that's good. I like that. What's cool about this movie, and, you know, this is the first one I watched as a kid, so I kind of have, like, a nostalgia-based love for it, too. But as a film itself, it's the one film, I think, in the series that really captures what made the original very special to me. You know, like, it's it's a very similar film in the the approach. And I think every other movie kind of missed that mark sometimes. Yeah, Yeah, it follows... uh the structure to a T while still like standing on its own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. This I think is one of the most important Loomis lines mm-hmm. too. The fact that he's reserved or resigned himself to the fact that he might never actually win this. But he has yeah. to try. Yeah. I think that's what sets him apart from a lot of uh, protagonists in films yes. is that in some ways he doesn't expect to succeed. But yeah. Like, you know, what is he doing if he doesn't go out fighting? Yeah. I think that's what a lot of my favorite horror movie protagonists have in common. Loomis, mm-hmm. Nancy in the original Elm Street for sure. Mm-hmm. He takes responsibility for Michael in this movie. I don't think in the first two, he feels a real ownership of Michael. Um, 
I think much more so from this point forward, he takes like an ownership of what has happened to or how Michael has turned out. And by the way, that's actually one of the things I really like about Malcolm McDowell's performance in Rob Zombie's Halloween is it really does give you a fascinating look at treating traumatized or disturbed children. And Mm -hmm. McDowell's portrayal of Loomis really takes ownership of his failures in trying to treat him. In the first movie, the second one, definitely not. Yeah. I I yeah. think that we all are very quick to talk about Loomis just being batshit crazy in five, and rightfully so he is. But I think everything that is set up in this one leads to that. He doesn't yeah, of think mm-hmm. he doesn't think it's gonna happen, but he knows it's kind of in five, you know, before six kind of retcon that. In five, he knows that he's gonna die fighting this fight, but he's so so invested that he just wants to go out doing his absolute best. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's also like such a huge thing about five that five is just one year later. Mm-hmm. Like when you're looking at the time span of Loomis doing these things, it's, you know, treating this kid for 15 years and he escapes and then all this happens. And then the next time he does it is 10 years later and that's taxing enough for him. And then just the very next year uh, to go through all that shit again, he's just, he's just fucking had it. He's done. Well that, and he's also dealing with the aftermath of the end of this movie, you know, Mm -hmm. is she evil? Is she not? Is he going to have to go deal with both of them? You know, who's going to carry on this legacy of trying to stop evil. Mm -hmm. I want to point out that Meeker has left an orphaned girl, two teenage young women, one of which is his daughter, all alone now with one cop. With the uncle of the orphaned kid trying to murder her coming after her. I don't think Sheriff Bracken would do that. Bracken would not have done that. Well, Bracken... He might have because he didn't believe <laughs> shit was happening. True. You're right. He would just be driving I around stand with corrected. Like fluores- fluorescent, uh, you know, in-car lighting. We talked about Halloween being canceled this year, and I posted this earlier. My Halloween plans this year are to egg. Oh, beautiful shot right there. That's great. Mm-hmm. It's far behind. Myers him. with a gun. See, again, this is like just, it's all supernatural, physical Mm -hmm. kills. And this movie is really, you know, really feeling the influence of the late 80s. Yep. Did you guys know that George Wilbur used to be the father-in-law to Travis Stevens? Did not know that. Yeah. He he did some of the stunt coordination or helped him with the stunts on Cheap Thrills, too. Hmm. A little shinfo for you. Those urns. <laughs> right? Like, what is going on in there? There's orgies at every other house, but they're killing people <laughs> at the, the Meeker house. I also like that every other character in this movie goes through, like, different wardrobe changes, but there's no way in hell that Rachel's losing that sweater. Nope. Oh, no. No. She is the very definition of like a 80s final girl in terms of like how she's portrayed, like the sexless, doesn't even show ankle. 
Well, you could have prevented that. Mm-hmm. Again, couldn't even keep her eye on her when she was trick-or-treating. It was one house down. Also, how big is this goddamn house? It's giant, Ooh, right? Sheriffs in Haddonfield make bank. I guess they'd have to. Okay, was Brady saying that they should like totally just ditch Jamie right now? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, it's metal. Yeah, I don't get this. Do they not know how door like don't doors usually well I think lock from the, the inside? I think it's the fact that the door I think is reinforced. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it's wood paneling over a steel door because uh, because Beaker is uh insane, I guess. But just in terms of locking the doors, like doors usually lock from the inside. You know what I mean? Like, why would you just, I, I, I never buy that argument. Like, oh, we're locked in the house. Like, no, just turn the little knob and go. This all could yeah. have been avoided if they kept driving. If you're militant and paranoid, you can definitely get locks that uh, lock mm. from the outside. Weird. So this shot, well, Brady's Main. death coming up right here reminds, I, I think that Buffy, the vampire slayer, the episode Passion, where Angelus mm-hmm. kills uh, Jenny Calendar. It's it an almost very, identical shot. Yeah, very much influenced by this right here, and I will stand by that statement. It's ironic because, you know, Saucer Jensen was in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Mm. Yeah, the motion the picture. Movie. Yeah. I'm doing a Buffy rewatch. I love the lighting in the sequence so much coming from it's that beautiful. It's beautiful. I love that this death is all sound effects, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not a single practical effect. It's just how pissed would he be getting hit in the face with a fucking gun? And it doesn't even phase him. Mm-hmm. I mean, he'd also be like, you know, one to talk. He impaled someone with that gun. That's true. He can he could suffer for a little bit. Like my cat runs across my foot and I'm crying. <laughs> His yelling "Leave us alone" ever worked? I'd like, like to have one movie where, like, midway through it, they're like, "Leave us alone," and it's like the credits roll. Yep. All right. <laughs> the killers leave town. There was a series of short films a few years ago. I want to say they were called like "Hell No," and it was basically characters acting very logically in horror movies. So okay. the movies are all like two minutes long. Yes, the only time I usually ever have a problem with logic in a horror movie is like when we're about this far into the movie, mm-hmm. because the rest of the time, like it's every up. time I've gone up to a cabin with friends in the woods, I'll admit I didn't expect to die. <laughs> like it's right? usually not on people's minds, but like yeah. in a situation where like you know. You're well aware of it. That's what I usually take issue with. Like, okay, it's time to think smarter. I also love the fact that Michael gets his knife in the attic right here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah. know? Especially if that means like he's coming after them with like a rusty ass knife. Like that always gets to me. Oh. The idea that that knife is so old and gross, like that makes it scarier. That, and I know it's behind the scenes, so it doesn't really play into the actual plot of the movie. But the fact that uh, Ellie Cornell got that like really bad uh was it nail cut in her stomach while filming this i think about it every time i see the actual movie too
Yeah. And I li- love, you know, in the original script, it's a house fire starts that forces them up to the roof. Yeah. But I still buy it. Like, you go up because Michael's coming up the stairs, so you're not going to go that way. Yeah. Like, it sells itself enough. Now, this set, it's, it's not an actual roof, right? Wasn't it just, like, what, six feet off the ground? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I would not ever film all of this on the actual on a, this enormous right. fucking house. <laughs> well, they talked about in It Follows. I know that David Robert Mitchell talked about It Follows, that shot of the actor on the roof near the end, how hard that was to do and, like, how many yeah. harnesses were in place to make that work. Ouch. Yeah, it does depend on the movie. Like, if, if Tom Cruise were playing Michael Myers, everybody would be on the roof. Oh, yeah. The whole movie <laughs> would take place on a roof. The roof would still be a set. It would just be suspended from a helicopter. While on fire. Yes. <laughs> Did it ever occur to the man to just go into the circus and you'd be happier? Right? <laughs> Did it ever occur to you that your colleague was maybe to be a trapeze artist? <laughs> I love how Michael has the same problem that we have when we're on roofs having to like, you know, clean up the yes. ditch things that where you have to walk a certain way or you're going to get mm-hmm. your ass like off the roof. Yes. I love this scene. Like this is the rooftop chase is an iconic showstopper of this movie, especially like that last shot of Michael on the roof. Mm-hmm. But I absolutely love that it's aided by the fact that Michael is about to fall off at any right. second. <laughs> Don't be dead. That scene is actually haunting to me. Yeah. The way it's phrased like a child, like, come alive. Well, think of how much death she's already seen. Yes. Like, this age. Yeah. Just love that shot. Her mother's dead. Her father's presumably dead, unless he's the same chain-smoking meth addict from H2O. (laughs) (laughs) That never sat with me, that that's who Laurie would end up with. That never made sense. That movie never sat with me. I love that movie, but that's another thing for another time. But uh, I I totally buy that in Laurie's adjustment period after Mm -hmm. uh, what happens, that that is the kind of person she found herself with uh, for a while. Now, Do you guys think that Ben Tramer is uh, one of Laurie's exes in the new timeline? Well, in the new timeline, maybe. In this movie... I think he's a vengeful ghost. But uh, right? That's one of my we'll favorite theories. That's we'll one of my favorite there. theories I've ever heard. Wait, what is this theory? We'll, oh, see, we'll, we'll get there. You don't remember it? Okay. We'll get there. Oh, God. <laughs> but yeah, I think, you know, in, in a world where Ben Tramer lived, uh, I think she totally... I mean... Her inhibitions are gone after that night. Do you think... Yeah. Why not? I don't know if if Lori would be like kind of poison at that point after the event in Haddonfield in terms of dating. I think she might have to like expand that circle out on Tinder. You can't do like who's in your immediate radius. You have to yeah. go like twenty five miles out. I mean, and then hook on up. The with other the hand, I think she was probably just hooking up with people. I don't think she was. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, interested in the same people 
Here we go. Yeah, but would they be interested in her? I don't know. I say, like, yeah. I, say, I mean, like, some dude she met at a bar, sure. sure. There we go. It's Ben Tramer's ghost. Oh, okay. Very good. Yep. He's there. <laughs> Is there He's an explanation gone? for the... Is there an I mean, explanation was, for the light? It was a mask fuck-up that they somehow, like, didn't notice but that bleach mask is there for one shot and is just there to knock Loomis's ass through a goddamn window that is the vengeful ghost of Benjamin Kramer <laughs> sorry why did they go to the school to begin with it was close by I think it's literally Loomis implying that uh, Jamie is a shitty student because all he <laughs> she says needs is to that's her. not where Michael's going to right. look for her She's bad at math. That's genuinely like the reasoning he gives is like, no, he'll look for you at your house. Let's go to the school. He'll never look for you at school. I also love the fact that this is the first movie where Loomis just start starts hugging people a little too tight. Like he every time he hugs Jamie in this movie to protect her, like it looks like he's like engulfing her. That's why that costume's impractical. Right. There's a reason he traded up. Right. You know? <laughs> he doesn't like falling downstairs. He's not wearing that shit. Should have been in 3D. Right. Oh, can you imagine that? Uh, if only. Or like a William Castle <laughs> little gag in the theater, like smoke comes out. See, I want more of a backstory on Earl. Well, good kid. Kid died. This, I know there are a lot of swing sets in horror, but that is absolutely the swing set from Are You Afraid of the Dark? And I won't hear any different. <laughs> Speaking of which, that three-part revival, fantastic. Oh, I loved it. Absolutely will be on my watch list for the family every Halloween season. The new, the new one? Yeah, absolutely loved it. Oh, You know, I, I, I think I'm right in this. I think Nicholas McCarthy is one of the showrunners of the next season. Mm-hmm. You know, that did uh, uh, The Prodigy and At the Devil's Door and The Pact Ooh. and stuff. We never... Never get enough of the Haddonfield Huskers. I don't think we ever no, no. see them. Never brought up again. This, how does I, I? This is this is where like Michael Myers, like beggars belief. Like I can buy him hiding in the back of a cop car. You know, oh, yeah. this you know, I absolutely just just go with it. This is just like John McClane and Die Hard Four type stuff right here. Like I'm no <laughs> longer buying it. Well, he hitches a ride with Sayer. <laughs> right <laughs> for poking his eyes out what if Sayer gave him the same exact speech he gave Loomis oh you're looking for it huh <laughs> what if Loomis took so much out of that when that's literally the same exact shit he says to everybody <laughs> Sayer's sharing that whiskey with Michael I always look underneath the truck to see if I can see Michael's head. Yeah, but also nope. there's clearly not a giant human being in <laughs> yeah, the truck. <laughs> He's actually hanging on the side. 
the movie? This Tom Cruise. He looks so happy. And again, these cops have like the... I'm sorry, these rednecks have the best idea in the whole movie. Like, let's drive away from Haddonfield, put as much space between us and it as we can. There's Earl's, no way There's no way I'm going to get my throat ripped out right now. Yeah. Nope. Earl gets such the yeah. best death. It's such the gnarliest death. And the other yeah. thing that strikes out to me about, or sticks out about Earl's death is that it's nearly identical to an illustration in Stephen King's Cycle of the Werewolf. Ooh. Yes, yes. That uh, Bernie Wrightson art? Yep. Yeah. That always stuck with me. See, I, these guys thought the worst they were going to get is like cataracts from the wind. Oh, yeah. oh I, I love like all the scenes. The oh. last stretch and, of the movie. Michael just going to town yeah. on Red X. And Earl has no idea what's going on right now. It's, it's, he does. Like I get that he sees mm-hmm. it before and realizes it. But doesn't want to like <laughs> believe it. Oh well, he doesn't want to alarm the girls. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! I love that two sec. That that's the choice that he made in those two seconds. Before. I can't watch Alien Covenant without thinking of Halloween Four when the Xenomorph's head smashes into the window. Mm. <laughs> Little Halloween connection <laughs> with Danny McBride. There is Tennessee. Right, right. I love that. Rachel just bodies Earl's corpse out of there like it's nothing. Like I also yeah, you don't the, you don't have a neck anymore. The mask looks great when we're looking at it from that angle. Like mm-hmm. I think yeah. Michael looks great on the hood of the car or on the roof of the car. I yeah, you're know. sending the child fly. Why didn't you tell her to buckle her seatbelt? Right. Eh, it's the 80s. Kids did not wear seatbelts in the 80s. See, I didn't, and my mom wore it, or drove a truck, and we ended up flipping 16 times, and I almost died as a kid Jesus. over it. So, <laughs> yeah. I rest my... All right. I think that shot's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> so much road, like road burn. Yeah, he was getting dinged up. That's, I think, the, the one shot where Myers does not look good. It looks like his shoulders that are about his ear yeah, level right that's there. That's where you really <laughs> see his, uh, his fucking Claire the, Higgins and yeah. Hellraiser shoulder yes. pads. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he just stands there. I mean, it's such a him move to just be like, oh, I'll get hit. I got all night. Oh, well. And the way he flies looks like those drawings of uh, uh, in the English patient of the person falling. <laughs> the only person that will make that connection. But. If Michael Myers played basketball, he would absolutely always draw the charge. Like LeBron <laughs> would just foul out within the first quarter. I think that's his way of tricking them. You know what? I'm just going to like act like I'm not holding the knife. It's like when my chihuahua has her bone and I go to take it and then she grabs it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she's, waiting for you, she's waiting for you to grab her hand and then she's going to mm-hmm. pop up. <laughs> I mean, this move clearly works. Like it works on children. It works on federal marshals. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Oh, 
Yeah, this gets a little bit excessive. This definitely yeah. is. Some, I mean, I get them being excessive at this point, though. They're like, we really don't want to be dealing with this next year. You when they, look uh, at like, what look at what the sheriff's I, department is armed with. By the way, look at those. Right? Good yeah. God! Got it from the yeah. set of Aliens. Well, again, that's another thing I believe in twenty twenty. <laughs> Truth, absolutely. You now, know, wasn't and, there a cut of this where they drop like dynamite, or is that how part five? That's how part five. Starts. Okay, yeah. I I do yeah. love the uh, the Bride of Frankenstein mind yeah. shaft like opening of, of yeah. Five. So here is my question about Meeker: Does he know that his daughter is dead? Not yet. Okay. No, I don't think so. Yeah. And that's why I wish he had a, one of my biggest things with five is that I wish Meeker had a bigger role mm-hmm. in that movie because like his daughter died the previous year. He's still like, he's got a, he's very personally invested mm-hmm. in this. So to well, he does all of he, his screen time to those other cops. Yeah. He does have that one moment in five where Loomis kind of calls him out saying, you know, your own daughter kind of died kind of thing. Yeah. And he looks at Loomis like, I'm going to kick your ass right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's just over it. She's like, I'm never going to get with Brady. I also <laughs> love that we're supposed to believe that uh, Jamie's foster mom is totally fine after this. <laughs> <laughs> but I do, I do love how this ending brings the fran- like if there was never another Halloween, how it would have brought the franchise full circle. Oh, hell yes. Mm-hmm. Really smart ending. See, I'm a huge oh, fan of five, but I do wish that this would have continued on. Yeah, I mean what a ballsy choice that would have been mm-hmm. if it's just her instead. That's it. Yeah. Like there's a new mm-hmm. terror. Mustafa Akkad was not gonna let that happen. Yeah. And it would have worked so well when she was established as a sweet young girl you're emotionally invested in for an entire movie. All right, my friends. Once again, as a trained psychologist, please, please, mental health professionals, do not pull guns. Yes. Yes. (laughs) He is ready to shoot. And Meeker doesn't know who he has the gun trained on here. Yes. I think like Meeker's look of horror is not just about Jamie, but like, oh my God, Loomis is going to shoot her. I totally get like with things being fundamentally supernatural, like he just loses Mm -hmm. his shit. Yeah. Like it finally ended and not 10 minutes later is like, here it goes. Mm -hmm. It's starting all over again. And once again, you are totally fucking helpless. That's a ballsy yeah. ending right there. Absolutely yes. great. Well, listeners, we hope you enjoyed our fan commentary on Halloween 4. hope that was entertaining for you. Um, for folks listening, we are going to add at the end of this probably about six or seven minutes of our It Follows Patreon episode that Jerry and I recorded last night. So tune in, stick around for that just to give you guys a taste. And if you want to hear the full It Follows episode uh, or you want more content like this every month, by all means, go to patreon.com, pod and the pendulum. Two bucks a month gets you our bonus bonus shows nat what do you have coming up writing right now where is the puppet master book at this point is it in the final stages of editing can we have a release date on it i don't have a release date but i'm i'm all everything's everything's getting wrapped up and real exciting Mm -hmm. there awesome and uh 
I have um, a bunch of articles upcoming. A lot for a site that hasn't launched yet, but uh, some exciting, exciting stuff coming down the pipeline. And uh, the the Halloween collection you guys were uh, we'll definitely so link to that in our notes. Lately. Yes, I'm so happy uh about that like thank you guys for that it's a great read it is such a good read Definitely. so for for folks that want to read more of nat stuff you can find us bylines at dread central bloody disgusting ihorror.com ha- uh, uh haw creek horror as well now too correct uh no not i, not I love creek. everything they're doing at haw creek okay. but i have not been mm-hmm. uh i uh, have not had a byline there where else can our readers find your uh work those are pretty bit uh, wicked horror, uh, and I've had a lot of articles at Diabolique in the past. Excellent. Does I'm trying to think of the gentleman who runs Diabolique. I can't. Is it? Oh man, he I used to he used to come to our screenings in Boston. He was a pretty good dude. Yeah, I don't um, know at this point. Like mm-hmm. it was, uh, I used to, mm-hmm. but yeah, I don't really know what's going on there at, at this point. Hey, I have one hot take, and this leads directly into the next series we're doing. I am going to go, and I'm going to go much more in depth in this next week. I'm on the record of saying if A Nightmare in Elm Street is not as successful as it is, we never get a Halloween for I agree 100%. Oh, not so hot a take. All right, listeners, thank you so much. <laughs> We will be back in one week with uh, Tommy Hudson, the author of Never Sleep Again, uh, one of the writers of that documentary as well, uh, to talk A Nightmare in Elm Street. That is my Halloween series. Like what Halloween is to Jerry, A Nightmare in Elm Street is to me. So I am so excited to bring that to our listeners. Um, Gentlemen, thank you so much for taking part in this. This has considerably brightened my mood. Um, This was a lot of fun to do, so have a great night. Hey everybody, Mike here. Super quick, what we're bringing you right now is a brief, like, seven-minute excerpt from our Patreon-exclusive show, where Jerry and I are joined by Chris Dudley of the band Under Oath, and we talk about It Follows. It's about a two-hour episode overall, so this is a really brief chunk of it. And just as a reminder, if you want to hear this or get access to any of our bonus material, just head over to patreon.com pod and the pendulum. Tiers start as low as $2 and will gain you access to all of our bonus shows. That's about it. Hope you guys enjoyed this excerpt, and we will be back next week with our coverage of A Nightmare on Elm Street. What do you both feel this movie is about? Like, what is the metaphor they're driving at here? Because I think on the surface, it seems like it's very much a metaphor for STDs. And I think that's one interpretation of it. But what do you both feel that this is driving the message of this movie? I've thought about it a lot, obviously. And I really think it just comes down to death for me. Um, I think that there were things that I picked up on, uh, similar to you, uh, rewatching it this morning. I, I rewatched it today as well. And there was a couple things I picked up on that, that we'll get into later that 
that uh, lead me to even more think that that's the case that that the the figure the you know the thing that's following i really see it as just a big metaphor for no matter what you do death is going to come and there is nothing that you can do and you can uh do you can do a ton to move that needle a little bit uh, move that calendar date a little bit, but at the end of the day, it's going to happen. Um, you know, there's all kinds of themes of, you know, potential themes that, you know, abuse, STDs, all of that. But, you know, in general, there's a lot of uh, trauma that is uh, that is visited in this as well. But I, for me, it really just comes down to death. See, I, I, I'm of this so many conflicting thoughts on what it's about for me. And I think that's what makes it so special. I, I remember I, I spoke to Kira Gilchrist from the film, Place Paul, about it uh, during the press junket. And he was saying that, dude, to be honest, I don't really know what it's about because we weren't told a single thing about what it's about. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was on purpose that we weren't told anything. And it kind of works for the film's advantage. Like, he thinks, he very much thought it was about death and, you know, delaying the inevitable will only delay it for a certain amount of time, you know, like it's coming for you one way or the other. And, you know, even at the film's end, you know, cause we'll be jumping around a lot, you know, they think they defeated it, but really they didn't like, you know, even the director said before that it was kind of a Scooby-Doo way of thinking about things like a really silly, like there's no way they succeeded at that, but they think they did cause they saw pulling the uh, blood in the pool, you know, like we do everything we can in life to extend our, our lives, you know, we don't want to die. So we have a good diet. We work out, you know, we, we don't go left when we go, you know, when we decide to go right. Like it, we do everything, but at the end of the day, when your time is here, it's your time to go. So I can definitely see that in the film. At the same time, one thing take that I've always got with it kind of goes with what a lot of people have said. I don't know if it's about STDs per se, but I think it's kind of just to me, it's about, the traces of other people that we take with us when we're intimate with them. You know, like there's that study that happened a few years ago that, that said that once you're sexually active with someone, their DNA stays with you for the rest of your life in one way or another. And that's, that's kind of combated with the idea that every seven years, you know, your cells shed and you regenerate and you become a different person. But I think that like, thematical stuff for me that hits with this movie is you know there's these little fleeting moments of intimacy with people that you don't realize that will stay with you that could potentially stay with you for the rest of your life and haunt you and affects not just it'll affect not just you but the people that you bring into your life later on you know what I mean like I I, I think it's a really interesting dialogue that could come with that too I like both of those interpretations a lot, and I think that they can both fit in. Um, Chris, to your point, like death is something that we're born into. Um, from the moment that we come out of the womb, like the clock is already ticking down on this. And I think one of the ways, one of the readings of this film that can work is this idea that if you become obsessed with your own mortality, if it's something that just weighs you down and constantly presses on you, then you forget to live your life at that point that you just become to your point, Jerry, you said like we watch our diets, we try to exercise, we try to, you know, develop healthy habits. But then at the end of the day, what have we done? Like, have we really lived at that point? 
there's a really funny, uh, I don't think it's a joke, but I think it's kind of a, as a matter of fact thing that Scott Derrickson says a lot to people online. Basically, like a lot of times anyone gives him shit online, he'll just respect, he'll just re- like respond with, yeah, well, uh, you're going to die one day. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, guess what? You're still going to die one day. Like, <laughs> it's, I always thought it was funny. When my daughter was three, I remember we were driving to visit my mother and my daughter, she's, she's adorable and she's the best. And I just remember saying to her, like, Ada, you know, like, you're just the best. Like, we love you so much. And she being a little bit older, maybe like three, maybe like four or five, because this, this thought was just a little deep. And she was like, you know, one day you and mom are going to die. So there can be room for more people on earth. And it was like the darkest <laughs> fucking thing. I like the idea of her. (laughs) Yeah, I like the idea of her saying that with a complete straight face and not blinking. Total straight (laughs) face, and I'm like, oh my god, like what? And I'm just like, what are they putting on Caillou, man? Like, (laughs) so this is going to come as a shock to people that know me as a mental health counselor that I would have this interpretation of the film. But to me, this movie is all about how trauma impacts you as a person and how it also basically it's like dropping a pebble into the lake and watching the ripple effect how trauma impacts everyone around you to me this movie is not so much about like stds overall there's this slot the slasher trope is obviously that sex equals death um and the film does take that trope and it plays with it in a little bit of a unique way we're kind of used to this idea that like the virgin character always survives um, and that like the teens in a film are killed either during or just after they have sex. And it follows for the most part, the characters have some sort of agency. Now Jay can't give full consent because like Jeff doesn't let her in on what the situation is and what the consequences are going to be um, until after the fact Um, but Paul and Greg willingly sleep with her. Um, and though they pass it on, you know, and maybe Jay passes it on to others without informing them as well. But Jay has agency in this film. To me, what happens is you see the immediate impact after 